invite you to turn now to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Be reading this morning verses 1 through 12 as we continue our study of this good news that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. And this passage, too, is part of the good news in Christ. Mark chapter 10. I hear then the breathed out word of God to us this morning. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, what a blessing it is to read your word. What a blessing it is to have a pastor who preaches and teaches the truths of your scripture. And Lord, may we not twist your words to meet our demands, but may we read this word, ponder it in our hearts, and seek you first in all things that we may follow in our lives. We ask that you'll bless Pastor Bob as he preaches this this message this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First of all, as I begin this part of Mark's gospel, and we continue it next Lord's Day as well with that which Jesus also teaches regarding this subject of divorce, uh, I am not blind or deaf. I know that there are those of you before me in this congregation who are either the children of a divorce or that you yourself are divorced. I am fully aware of that. So is God. God didn't take this passage out of his word because of your circumstances in life. This too is the word of God. But I want you to understand that I'm not thinking of you and your situation. That is not part. When 
when I put down the, the, the sermon and began to work my way through this section of Mark chapter 10, I'm not thinking, oh, this applies to so-and-so or this applies to so-and-so. That did not enter into the picture at all. And I realize that for some of you, the divorce that perhaps you had in life was even before you were a Christian. And for some of you, it might have even occurred while you were not taking God's truths seriously in your life. I am always encouraged by the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when Paul writes to the church of Corinth about what some of them were. Some of them were homosexual offenders. Some of them were greedy. Some of them were adulterers. Some of them were thieves. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You're a new creature in Christ. And I would pray that that is your circumstance in life as well. Also, there are any number of you who are what we would refer to as the innocent party of a divorce. In other words, you did not initiate the divorce. It was not with your desire that this would happen or take place, but you were, in a sense, the, the bystander to the proceedings. You desired that the marriage not be dissolved. But by order of the state and because of the other persons initiating, it was. The words of Jesus here in this text, although speak to that circumstance, are not fully intended to speak to that. That comes next Lord's Day, the Lord willing. But it is important for all of us to understand the context of the world in which we live. First of all, let me just give you some divorce rates. 42% of first marriages are going to end in divorce. I found it almost somewhat humorous, if you can find humor in this, that a number of articles you can, when you go for current divorce rates, one of the interesting things that happens is they'll all say, you've heard that it was said that it's 50%. Well, it isn't. It's 42%. Like, somehow or another, that's some great benefit. It's still 42%. What is interesting, though, is that the percentage of first divorces that are ending, first marriages that are ending in divorce is actually dropping. And over the last 20 years, that percentage has dropped steadily. And it doesn't have to do with the fact that people are shacking up more because they're still measuring marriages. And the percentage is going down. One of the interesting things that they've discovered is that one of the reasons why marriages and why divorces, why div marriages are lasting and why divorces are going down is because many of those who are marrying are children of divorce and they understand the consequences and they're not going to let it happen to their kids, which is an interesting benefit that we're dealing with today. But it's still 42%. And for those who think, well, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, I'll get rid of this clod, which is who we meet tonight, a guy by the name of Nabal. 
I'll get rid of this clod and I'll marry some really great guy. The likelihood of that second marriage ending in divorce is now at 65%. And if you think, well, okay, I just made a bad decision, I'll try it a third time, that's at 75% end in divorce. We have a problem in our society, even though we can be thankful for the drop of the last 15, 20 years, there is still a growing concern. Every 13 seconds in this nation alone, somebody is filing for a divorce. 43% of children under the age of 18 live without their father's involvement because of divorce. And it's more likely that a person will be divorced if their friend gets divorced. Don't think that this has no consequences beyond yourself. Divorce does. The consequences of divorce are not only personal, family, children, friends, church, your witness. The most common effects of those studied after a divorce deal with these problems. Guilt, anxiety, depression, insomnia, substance abuse. They've studied and determined facts are tough things, folks. They studied and determined that after a divorce, a person's immune system weakens and they are more susceptible to cancer. After the divorce, heart attacks increase in both men and women after a divorce. And you gain weight. Besides all that. And then there's the financial aspects of a divorce. The consequences. One in five women who get divorced end up in poverty. For a woman, the household income generally falls by about 20%. For men, depending on the child support, it falls anywhere from 10 to 40. If you think this ends the money problem, it only increases it. It only increases the financial problems you deal with. It doesn't end it. For children... Just think about these consequences. The children of divorce believe that because their parents stopped loving one another, they will stop being loved by their parents. No matter how many times you emphasize it, they believe it, that you're going to stop loving them. Guilt, it's their fault. Mom and dad got divorced because of us. We're the reason. And they bear that guilt for years. 
anger, resentment, blame, learning, falls. This, these are statistics, folks. This is what happens. You care about your children? Care about the success of your children academically? Well, then don't get divorced because the statistics show that it drastically decreases the child's ability to learn because their mind is so focused on family and where they go tonight, who they spend this weekend with, where they're going to go on vacation, who they're going to go on. Their mind is so filled with all of these details that they shouldn't have to deal with, they can't comprehend what is taking place in front of them in the classroom. Children of divorce are more likely to be abused because they think they deserve it because they made mom and dad get divorced. Think of that consequence. Their involvement in religious institutions plummets. They become less involved in church. These are the consequences. These are the realities of life. But the attitude today, well, the attitude today is that which is, well, I got to do that which is good for me. I got to do that which brings happiness to me. I've got to find my own self-fulfillment or in a whole number of self-happiness or self-realization or self-actualization, which as one Christian author says is really a mysticism of religion. The Bible never speaks this way. Christ never talks this way. That somehow or another we have this inherent right to self-happiness. It's not what the Bible teaches. And yet that's the culture of today. I'm going to do it. Oh, you can tell me all the bad things, but don't I count? Aren't I important? Folks, I want you to understand something. When God wrote the scriptures... He knew all about you. And he knew all about your marriage and he knew all about your circumstances. And he didn't say, you know, because of so-and-so's life, I'm not going to write Mark chapter 10. Let's just keep Mark chapter 10 out of it. After all, those people all have that right to their self-happiness. Let, let's just not say it. God said it, even though he knew your circumstances. Are you going to deny the sovereignty of God and say, I don't think God knew about mine. He did. Before the creation of the world, God knew your marital situation. He knew the problems, he knew the struggles, and he still wrote the same thing. I, Jehovah, change not. We live in a day and age of no-fault divorce, just fill out some paperwork, mail it in, and that take, basically takes care of it. We have on the one extreme churches that practice, we don't care. 
Just do what you need to do to feel happy in life. And so it doesn't affect your membership at all. On the other hand, we have churches that are so strict, they've ruled out grace. And they've ruled out mercy. And they've ruled out forgiveness. You can't even be a member of some congregations if you've been divorced. Even though that might have been 30 years ago, before you were even a believer in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter, you can't be a member. It has become, in some churches, the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin. And that's not what Scripture teaches either. So, on the one hand, we live in a world of great confusion, religiously about this, mainly because God's Word is not really the one consulted. It's attitudes, it's personal opinions. And so we need to go back in our day and age as well and hear God's word. We need to be reminded of Samuel's words to Saul. To obey is better than to sacrifice. What Samuel is telling Saul is this. To obey is more important than even worship. To be obedient to God. To do that which God commands, to do that which God desires, to do that which God's will is to be the most important thing that we as believers in Christ do. Not our self-actualization and self-fulfillment. That is the worship of self. It is pride. It is arrogance. It is rebellion. To obey is better than to sacrifice. So let's look at the text. What's happening here? What's going on in this passage? Well, first of all, we can't separate it from that which has gone on in chapter 9. Chapter 9 was all about the idea of not causing others to stumble. It was all about children it was, always, it was about becoming like a child. Notice what's on the other side of these verses. What are the next verses? Let the little children come unto me. In the context between these two things about children, young believers, children physically, Stands Jesus' teaching on divorce. What do you think the importance of that context is? You say you better think very seriously about the consequences for other believers. You better think very seriously about the consequences eternally for your children and for yourself in regards to marriage. There's the broader context, the background. Secondly, it's interesting to note what Mark tells us. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Does anybody recognize that phrase, beyond the Jordan? That's where John the Baptist preached. That's where Jesus is. He's where John the Baptist preached. Remember what John the Baptist was preaching about? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, but he was also dealing with Herod. Herod 
and his immoral divorce and marriage to his current wife that led to his condemnation. Jesus now goes there, and what does he do? He preaches the same message that John had been preaching. He's going right back into it, right back into the heart of it. And as was his custom, he taught them. This is the part of the life of Jesus. It's part of his ethic, as one commentator said. This, This is part of the who he is. He simply always, when he has the opportunity, he teaches. He doesn't turn away from that opportunity. And so as was his custom, there is a large crowd gathered, and he teaches. And in the midst of the teaching come questions. The Pharisees came up in order to test him. Now what's the test? The test is, what view of divorce is Jesus going to take? Because you see, there is a hot debate going on. Hot debate at this time, in Mark chapter 10 time. There there is division amongst the religious leaders of the day. Some have adopted a very liberal view. Divorce is okay anytime. Guy can get rid of his wife whenever he wants. Others are saying, no, 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 there are stipulations. And only in certain circumstances and situations can a man get a divorce? Now, lest you're thinking adultery, that is not true. Because adultery solved itself, right? The person taken in adultery, what did they do with them? What did they do with them? They killed them. Marriage done. (laughs) You got an adulterous wife? She's dead. You don't have to divorce her because she's dead. You got an adulterous husband? What what do they do? Kill him. Do you have to divorce him? No. There was no divorce for adultery because death was the result of adultery. But what else could you do? Well, some of the the scribes, some of the rabbis had made some kind of tight restrictions on when it could happen. If a woman dressed really provocatively in public, yeah, that would be a reason. Because she's falling into that area, they would say. Others would say, guy came home, cooked a me- she cooked a meal, and he said, you burned the potatoes. I want a divorce, and he could get it. So this is the debate. And you see, what they're trying to do is to have Jesus lose membership. Because look at the context. And crowds gathered to him again. All of their efforts, everything they've been trying to do to him up in Galilee, has failed. It hasn't worked. Well, now he's nearer Jerusalem. Now their crowds are continuing to come. They've got to deal with it. How can we perhaps half the crowds? Well, if Jesus takes the liberal view... The conservatives will all leave, the stricter rabbi followers. If he takes the stricter rabbi view, then probably all the liberal side will leave. 
So we'll at least cut it in half. But they might have even been a little bit more devious than that. Where is he? Where is he? Where John was. Herod's territory. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about divorce? Why? Why would you ask that question? Why would you want Jesus to make a statement on divorce? Because the last guy we got to deal with us lost his head. This will be easy. We don't have to kill Jesus. We don't have to do anything. Herod will take care of the job. Hey, Jesus, what do you think about divorce? With the hopes that perhaps he's going to step in it so deep, Herod will hear about this. He'll arrest Jesus. There go the crowds. He'll put Jesus to death. End of story. No more Messiah person do we have to deal with. Jesus, what do you think about divorce? Notice what Jesus does, verse 3. He answered them, what did Moses command you? This is so much like Jesus, isn't it? Over and over again, they come to him with a question, he returns to them a question. Well, let me put it back to you. You guys tell me. To get them invested, to get them to have to make a statement, whereon he might then speak. So he turns the question back to them. He goes right to the center point of the argument. What did Moses command? Because you see this whole argument that, that these rabbis and the Jews of Jesus' day are having centers on this verse. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is what it's all about. This is the whole argument. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her, a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not again take her to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. That's what this is about. But it's actually narrower. The real question is, what, does Jesus, what did Moses mean by the word indecency? If he finds some indecency in her, and so we have these two different views of divorce all based upon it. Jesus is bringing them right back because this is the only place Moses deals with it. It's not like you got 15 chapters on divorce in the Old Testament. 
written by Moses. So he's saying, what does Moses say? Now, notice the answer. First of all, from the Pharisees. The Pharisees' answer is, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Moses allowed them to do so. They think that verse, that section, gave a man permission to get a divorce from his wife. That's their understanding of the text. Any cause, any reason. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, in other words, Moses is not giving permission. Moses is not saying it is all right to do this. In fact, the whole section that I read to you from Deuteronomy 24 is not about the divorce. It's about protecting the woman. That's the point. It's about protecting her. She need, you need to give her something. If in the stubbornness and the hardness of your heart, in the coldness of your life, a word that is used to describe that which represents an unrepentant, ungrace-filled attitude. Because of that hardness, at least, at least, do the decent thing and protect the woman. Give her a certificate. Give her that which she needs to say she didn't commit adultery. That's what's going on here. Without the certificate, she could be charged with adultery and killed. The certificate protected her life. It guarded her. It protected her reputation. Because now people go, yeah, you know, that guy over there, he, he, he wrote his wife a certificate. But, you know, he's done that to six others, and I think it's all about the way she cooks veal or something. I don't know, but he just keeps doing it again and again. Well, now she doesn't look like an evil woman without the certificate. There's suspicion. And some guy may like his fried potatoes burned. So he's going to marry her. I like burned potatoes. Okay, He's going to marry her. I don't care if you burn the potatoes. It's okay with me. So he marries her. She's protected. That's the point. But you see, they completely missed the point. And we're saying Moses gave Permission. And Jesus is saying, no, it isn't permission. This doesn't make it all right. This doesn't make it acceptable. It's because of the hardness of your hearts, because of your sin. And then notice what he does. But from the beginning of creation, 
which is an interesting question because you can go back to Jesus' first question now. What did Moses command you? And the question is, I wonder what Jesus was actually thinking here. When Jesus asked them the question, what did Moses command? Was Jesus centering on Deuteronomy 24? Because that's what they gravitate to. Well, Moses said, write a certificate of divorce. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, what did Moses command? Because you see, Moses also wrote Genesis, didn't he? And what's the command? Well, what's the command of Genesis? Matthew, or Deuteronomy 24, in Jesus' view, is not a command in the sense, a command to divorce. It's a command to give the certificate to protect the woman. But it's not a command giving permission to divorce. Why? Because there is a command that says you may not divorce. That's the command. The command is you shall not divorce. Jesus does that by going back in verse 6 to creation. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, and they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. There it is. There's the rule. Can we get a divorce? Answer, no. Go back to their original question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What's the answer? No. That's it. No. A man may not divorce his wife. You say, well, so a woman can divorce? No, that's implied as well. But you see, in Jesus' day, the only one who could do this action was the man. So the point is, whoever has, okay, the, the, the legal status to be able to do this shouldn't. Plain and simple. No side words. No additive. No exclusions. This is it. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Why? Because a husband and wife are one. And that oneness is permanent. To do so, to separate, is rebellion against God. It is to do that which God says never should be done. And what are the consequences of that? What are the consequences? Look around us, folks, in this world. For individuals, personally, for families, for children. What's the consequences? The consequence is this. You shall not know the shalom of God. You will not know the peace of God in your heart and in your life. Just as much as if, if you're out murdering, you don't know the peace of God. Just as much as you're out 
taking the name of God in vain. You don't know the peace of God just as much as you're out thieving. You don't know the peace of God just as much as if you're a liar. You don't know the peace of God. If you engage in this, you will not know the peace of God. And so what does God say? If you have committed a sin, what do you do? You repent. You confess. You acknowledge it. Lord, I've sinned. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And what happens? You're washed. You're cleansed. As Paul wrote to those Corinthians. You're sanctified. You become a new creature in Christ. You're forgiven. And you experience again the peace of God. Pretending that what you did was not wrong. Is rebellion. It needs to be acknowledged. I sinned. Forgive me. Lord, for I have sinned. Whoever confesses his sin, I will forgive, says the Lord. I will forgive. No thought of divorce ever. Any divorce is against the divine ideal for our marriage. God says to Israel and Malachi, I hate divorce. Hate it. Well, you know, I think I'll be a much happier individual if I go and get a divorce. Hear the voice of God. I hate divorce. Well, I think, you know, my life will be much better. It would be much smoother. It would be much less stressful. I think the kids would be happier. I hate divorce, says the Lord. Is God so opposed? Because this relationship of a husband and a wife is the sign, is the witness to the world of Christ's relationship to his church. I hate divorce because it ruins the witness of Christ. Is this all Jesus says? No. No, he says more on this subject. But I want you to understand that in the context of this bill of divorcement, this willy-nilly, I can just get a divorce because I'm sick of him. I can get a divorce because I'm sick of her. 
we don't love each other anymore, so we might as well get a divorce, is a lie from hell. Because God is telling you, I hate divorce. This is not an option. This is not the way to go. So if your attitude is, at any time, it's okay. A guy, a guy or a lady, a husband or a wife can, can get a divorce. It's okay. Oh, yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be some hard days and some difficult times in the adjustment period. But it's certainly not that bad. Christ, Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, made no, no provision for an easy divorce. Why? Because he loves you with an unending love. And you have promised your unending love to him. That commitment of Christ to you and of you to Christ is your in your marriage as a witness to the world. Father, forgive us as a society. Forgive us, Lord, as a nation. For we have allowed that which you create as holy and permanent to be so easily dissolved as if it doesn't really matter. Lord, sometimes in our own hearts when divorces have occurred in our families, we, we've, well, you know, he had some reasons. And she's had some reasons and we make excuses. Forgive us. Forgive us as a church for either being too liberal or too strict of not showing enough grace or being flippant. Help us to be. Help our marriages to be that which you desire for them to be. Father, this sermon isn't preached at the beginning of the series. It's preached after we understand what your will is for a husband, what your will is for a wife, what your will is for a marriage relationship, how you desire for us to live as husband and wife. Forgive us for our failures to do so. But help us, Father, never, never to rebel against your desire to keep our marriages as a witness of love, of mercy, of permanence to this world. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.